0: Welcome to everybody's least favorite scripture passage. <laughs> we're going to open it up a little bit for you. Um, so, long time no see. It's just up here. We were sharing our stories. We were sharing where we're at. Um, and in all of the things of the world, the scripture meet us, meets us. The world meets us. Um, <clears throat> I was reflecting this week on an experience I had in a former professional life before I was a pastor. I was an interfaith educator and trainer. So I would get sent to communities and to schools to help them create environments where people of every faith and no faith could get together and then could do stuff together get together and then do stuff together. And I was with a very liberal religious community um, that was super excited. It was a youth event and all the youth were super excited about inviting everybody else in town, the Muslims, the Jews, all the other religious groups to them to do this kind of retreat activity. And I was there to support them in planning it. And they're planning and they've got great stuff going on. They're thinking about a service event that they're doing. They're talking about um, how they're going to have a conversation about what service means to them in each of their traditions. It's shaping up great. And then they start to think about the fun stuff, right? Like what games will we play? What songs will we play? And, And the first thing they say is, well, every time we have a youth retreat, we do a big cuddle puddle. That would be great. And I said, well, Let's think it through. Do you think maybe any of the people that we're inviting might not want to do a cuddle puddle in a multi-gender community or with lots of people? And they're like, oh, yeah, right, okay, great. No cuddle puddle. And then they said, well, let's do some songs, though. What would be good songs that would work for everybody? One of our favorite songs we always played, it's so great, it's all about being all together, is Imagine by John Lennon. I love, we love that song. It's all about everybody being together and everything being peaceful. And I was like, yeah, that's true. And let's think about the lyrics a little bit. And they go through the lyrics. And then they get to um, imagine no religion, (laughs) right? And I was like, do you think everybody in the room will feel good about imagining the future as a place with no religion? They're like, oh, right, okay. (laughs) Let's let's think it through. Let's go to the, the next step. Um, Which is not to say that these kids did anything wrong. It's to say that inclusion is really hard and really complicated. The things that to some of us seem like obvious um, builders of inclusion, right? Physical intimacy, songs that have always meant to us, visions of peace and community, don't sound like inclusion to everybody. Don't feel like inclusion to everybody. (laughs) Because there are so many human experiences and so many human histories, when we come together, thinking about what it would mean for us all to be included can be rough. And that's if we take it for granted that everybody should be included, which is what we're talking a little bit about today with this scripture passage. This whole month, we've been in a sermon series called The Bible Doesn't Tell Me So. We're talking about the things that we often say are in the Bible, but that we have maybe oversimplified or twisted or tweaked a little bit so that they're not quite how God intended them or not quite how they show up in the scriptures and things that we frequently misuse. We've talked about God does everything for a reason and God will never give you anything more than you can handle. Stuff that people have said to us, maybe with the best of intentions, but that has an impact that is not the impact of the God who we know and of the whole message of the scriptures. But we kind of took it easy the first couple weeks because we talked a lot about phrases that don't get said that often in this community, that aren't real kind of central parts of urban village. So it's easy, right, to tear them apart when they're not your thing. Today, we're going after our thing. (laughs) Today, the thing we're looking at that we often say is right there in the Bible, but maybe we flattened it, made it a little easier, is God is inclusive. God is inclusive. Is that really what it says? Is it really that simple? Is it really that easy? I think sometimes we've made it um, sound a little easier than it is. Because there are scriptures like this one that we read today. There are scriptures like this one that we read today of Jesus being mean to somebody, (laughs) being mean to somebody to be straight up about it. And there's lots more scriptures besides this one, which we're going to get into, um, where Jesus talks about there being real differences between people and behaviors, sheep and goats, wheat and chaff. There are things that matter about who we are in the world. There are things that matter about the choices we make. And for us, I think, with our emphasis on God's inclusive qualities, which are real, but not God's only qualities, we have tended to kind of uh, jump over those or ignore them or not want to face them straight out. So today we're going to be talking about this passage and we're going to be talking about the two ways I think that we often get in wrong. The two ways that we often um, tweak it a little bit so that it doesn't quite work. And the first way is that we think that what inclusive means is that everybody is the same, and if we continue to act like it, then everyone will be the same. And the second way is that we think that inclusive means we come as we are, and then we stay that way. And then we stay that way. But I think that inclusive means something different. I think, A, to be truly inclusive, sometimes you need to pick specific communities. You need to emphasize, not pick, but um, emphasize the experiences of certain communities. And I think that coming as you are doesn't mean staying that way. I think that an inclusive community in God often actually encourages us to change in direct response to what we find there. So how do we see these two things in this passage? First, there's lots and lots of different ways that people have talked about this scripture over time. And a lot of them, because it makes people so uncomfortable that Jesus calls the Syrophoenician woman a dog, dismisses her, um, are to try and make it a little easier to swallow. So a lot of people will be like, that word doesn't mean dog. It means puppy, Uh, which I don't know if I believe it, um, but also even if I did believe it, I would not particularly appreciate being called a puppy either, (laughs) right? That doesn't seem like a great relational move to me. Um, And the other thing that people will say about this passage is that Jesus is having a teaching moment. He's purposefully treating the woman this way in front of all of the disciples and the people who are watching them because he wants to teach them that that's not how you treat someone just because they're of a different ethnic community or city than you're in. And that one I actually do find more convincing. It like matches the rest of the scriptures a little more. But I still don't think it means we can write this off because he still says stuff to her that's not okay. <laughs> Using people as a teaching moment is not, I think, a particularly life-affirming way to approach another human being. And what I see in almost every other story of Jesus is that even when he's not down with what people are doing, he treats them as full human beings. And in this story, I just don't see it. And there are a couple of reasons. The first is that, that thing we talked about, does inclusive mean that everybody is the same or not? That Jesus is really focusing on a particular community, I think one mistake we can sometimes make when we talk about inclusion is that we say everyone is welcome, everyone is the same, and then any talking about difference is what threatens the inclusion, right? So this is if you've ever come to a community that's like, don't talk about race, it causes division, yeah? Or don't talk about politics or religion at Thanksgiving, it causes division, what it really is, is honest about the division, right? It's just honest about what's happening. Um, and honest about the fact that we live in a world where not everybody already has a seat at the table. Some of the people are not at the table. Some of the people are outside of the room. Sometimes Some of the people are outside of the house, and there's a gate between them and the house. And if we're going to be actually inclusive, we can't look at someone standing outside of the locked gate and say, everybody is welcome. <laughs> Why aren't you here yet? We have to focus and say there are people who have a locked gate between the conclusion. We have to tear the gate down. We have to tear the gate down. This is the difference between saying black lives matter and all lives matter, right? It's not that anybody (laughs) thinks that all lives don't matter. It's that the black lives are the ones that are in danger. The black lives matter is the radical thing to say. It's the thing that our society currently doesn't recognize, and so you have to say it in order to to balance the way in which society refuses to recognize it. You have to be for somebody who's marginalized, for somebody who's left out, in order to fix that, rather than just pretending that the marginalization isn't true. To be truly inclusive, we sometimes have to be for communities on the underside and communities that are underserved. It's what Latin American liberation theologians called the preferential option for the poor, that God loves everyone, but sometimes God is for communities that are targeted. God is for sexual abuse survivors in a way that is um, investing in the ways in which they have not been included, not been honored, not been heard. And I see some of that in this scripture because it's not just that Jesus calls her names, it's that Jesus says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. I have children. I have a group. I have a group that has been victimized by an enemy. I have a group with which I have a covenant. I have a group that is hurting, that is harmed, that has had all manner of things happen to them. And many of the things have been in battle with your people, the Canaanites. So the Canaanites and the Israelites, she's a Canaanite, are two groups of people that are both at Jesus' time under the weight of empire. But in the thousands of years prior have basically been enemies. They like fight over land and they fight over everything And so he's saying, I actually have people to look out for. I have people who are on the underside that I'm trying to love and show something new to. Are you trying to distract me from that task? Are you trying to remove me from that task? And she teaches him that she's not, but it reminds us that being inclusive isn't actually always about pretending that everything is the same. Sometimes it's about saying circumstances are different. People have different experiences, and, and our actions to include have to account for that. But then we get to the hard part, which is um, even if we, we say Jesus is trying to make this effort to invest in one community, he's not uh, trying to include her but differently. He's trying to exclude her, right? He's trying to exclude her from the path. And that's where I see the second thing that's so important to me about this scripture, which is that we can change and learn and grow we can change and learn and grow. To some people, it's very threatening to think of this passage as a passage about Jesus learning, Jesus being wrong about something, Jesus acting out of the prejudices and biases that his society has or acting out of the difficulty of the situation he is in. This passage finds us in a really hard time in Jesus's life where he has been, um, there's basically this repeated pattern in the chapters just before, where he's constantly trying to get some time to himself. He'll like go away in a boat, or he'll go up in a mountain. He's been healing and preaching everywhere, and then a crowd of thousands will follow him. He's feeling overburdened, um, and he has tried to go to other cities to escape. And his good friend John the Baptist, one of the few people who he thought had truly heard his message and truly loved God, has just been murdered by Herod. He's in grief and he's in loss, right? A lot is happening to him and he acts out and he says this thing that I just can't read as good under any circumstance. I just can't do it. And some people are threatened by the idea that Jesus can do something wrong, but I feel empowered by it. (laughs) I feel transformed by it. Because to me, this story isn't just about Jesus doing something wrong. It's about him immediately recognizing it and then doing something different. And that being an okay way to behave in the world. (laughs) Jesus does what repent literally means, which is he turns around. He's acting one way towards the woman. He's saying, get out of here. I can't give you anything. And she continues to challenge him and stay in it and not let him talk about her that way. And he turns around and he says, yeah, all right, you're right. Healing for you. You're a part of this thing that I'm doing. And that turns it from really my least favorite scripture into my favorite scripture. Because if there is one thing that I do all the time as a Christian, it is screw up and harm people and do things that I would not um, wish that I would do. And if all I ever had of Jesus who joins me in my humanity is him doing the right thing, I would have something to strive for, but I wouldn't know what to do when I do all of this wrong stuff all the time. And in this story, he is showing me, which is you turn around. (laughs) You do the opposite. You make amends. You make up for it. You say, all right, you're right. Shouldn't have rejected you from the table. Here you go. (laughs) Here's your healing. It is powerful to me. It is moving to me. It is Christ-like to me (laughs) to see Jesus change because it means that I can change too. Something that a lot of inclusive communities do, I think, is because often what we are responding to is the ways in which the world has turned people out, called them wrong, called them shameful. We hesitate to say that there are things that are wrong and things that are right and kinds of behavior we should be striving for. Something I've seen particularly a couple of times in different inclusive communities I've been, religious and non-religious, is that people will not have boundaries in their relationships They'll hurt people or harm people or in sexual or romantic relationships will kind of do whatever they want and it'll harm somebody else. And then when called out on it, they'll say, like, this is a place for everybody. This is a community for everybody. Sure, yeah, it is. That doesn't mean we stop hurting each other or stop caring about it. <laughs> that doesn't mean we think there's no longer a way to talk about the fact that we might want to behave differently differently that we might want to behave better, that we might want to learn from our worst moments or our racist moments or our mean moments and say, I'm going to turn around now. I'm going to do something different. That, to me, is powerful. It becomes a way to not think of ourselves as balls of shame or balls of greatness, but as people who are both of the things and sometimes need to turn around. This has been the thing that has um, really surprised me the most about this last year and the Me Too movement, is that uh, from my job, from my experience, from being a woman, I'm not surprised at how many of us have stories of sexual violation. Um, I am glad that so many of us can now share it. But what I have been surprised by is how few people have apologized. (laughs) Because um, I don't, I don't, Maybe other folks are different and we can all hold it differently, but I have no desire for revenge. I don't think jail's good. I don't love the idea of sending tons of people there. All I want is for the harm to stop. I want us to stop hurting each other. (laughs) All I want is for us to stop having awkward workplaces and for us to stop having fear at parties, and for us to stop having this need to carry our keys between our fingers because we think at any moment we might be violated, all I want is for that to stop. I don't want vengeance. And what we need for it to stop is for people who have caused harm in the past to turn around and say, I caused harm, but now I see. Now I see the harm I caused, and I don't want to cause it again. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that anymore. I see what it did to you. And I've been surprised by how few of us have been able to do that. Not just on the big stuff, but on the small, everyday stuff. I think we need more of a culture of what Jesus does here, which is that part of an inclusive community is recognizing that inevitably all of us will mess up and all of us will harm. And the answer to that is not to ignore it or to say, but I'm here as I am, but to say there are ways to recover from harm. (laughs) There are ways to say sorry and love each other. And I want us to start practicing that in our own lives so that hopefully we can teach others how to do it too and make a world that has less harm in general. God is inclusive. We're not changing our mission here and kicking some people out. But inclusive is a little richer and more complicated than I think we sometimes allow for. It means that sometimes we say we are inclusive and this community is the most at risk, we stand for them. It means we are inclusive, everyone is welcome here no matter what we have done, and we still encourage ourselves to hold ourselves accountable to doing better than we've done in the past. And sometimes we'll fail. But part of what being included means is paying as much attention to other people as we pay to ourselves. And knowing that we're a community full of full human beings on whom we have an impact. And that we can be different than we were yesterday. After all, Jesus was. (laughs) So let's let that be the message of our scripture. And let's let that carry us forward. Amen.